What is up, what is up, what is up? Welcome to The Mitch Davis Show. I'm your host, Mitch Davis. You can follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. I'm also the founder of the MitchDavisShow.com. Make sure you also follow and like the Facebook and Instagram pages by simply typing in The Mitch Davis Show as well. Today on the podcast, we're going to be joined by the one and the only Ole Miss beat writer for the Clarion Ledger, Nick Suss. He's going to join the podcast to talk all things Ole Miss athletics. So if you're a Rebel fan, this podcast is just for you. Before we get into the interview, make sure you head on over to Twitter and follow me at Mitch Davis underscore eight. At this time, I would like to welcome Nick Suss to the Mitch Davis Show podcast as we discuss all things Ole Miss athletics. I am joined now by the man, the myth, the Twitter legend, Mr. Nick Suss, Ole Miss beat writer out of Oxford, Mississippi for the Clarion Ledger. How you doing, Nick? Hey, uh, taking a little umbrage to the scripture, I think you should have just gone with a man. Uh, <laughs> man, I, I tell you what, though, you are the funniest guy on Twitter, and uh, I know right now with the whole COVID thing and, and you having to be inside with snow, and you got a, you got a lot of funny tweets coming out of you here in the last couple weeks. Oh, thank you. I, uh, I was thinking about putting a disclaimer in my bio that says, you don't have to think I'm funny, but you have to know that's what I'm going for. <laughs> I feel that, man. Hey, let's talk a little baseball. Let's, let's, let's open this thing up, man. We, uh, it's cold weather. We're, everybody's ready for those spring days at Swayze Field and ready for some college baseball. Ole Miss is heading down to Texas this weekend to face a host of teams. What do you expect out of this weekend for Ole Miss? Yeah, I, I, could, I couldn't have imagined a tougher start than last year when they play a three-game series at home against the number one team in the country. But I think they drew it this year. You got three games against three top 10, top 11 opponents, depending on where you look, in TCU, Texas Tech, and Texas. Those are the three teams favored to win the Big 12, which is probably the second-best conference in college baseball this year. That's a, that's a really tough draw. You're going to face some of the premier pitchers in the country. Uh, TCU's Friday night guy, never going to be a slouch. Texas Tech Saturday guy, never going to be a slouch. And then Texas on Sunday, you obviously avoid time adding a top 10, top 15 pitch. But you're still going to get a ton of talent and a ton of velo coming out of that UT rotation. So it's going to be a challenge, but the one thing Ole Miss has going for it, well, it has many things going for it this year, but one of the things it has going for it is such an immense depth in pitching. And I'm not just talking about the three returning starters. And I think Nikhazy Hoagland to Diamond is going to be one of the best one, two, threes in the country this year. But beyond that, just so much depth in the bullpen. You return your entire bullpen from last year, and you get a freshman class in, and you get Tyler Myers back, who missed last year with Tommy John. So you're getting an extra fifth-year senior on your team from a bullpen that was really talented last year. They're going to be able to mix and match. They're going to be able to throw a lot of arms, and it's going to be interesting. I think they're going to be low-scoring games, as early-season tournaments tend to be, just as batters get into the swing of things, especially this year where they had shorter off-seasons and snow breaks and COVID pauses and all of this stuff. But 
uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be the most exciting baseball in the country this week. Now, jumping over to the offensive side of things and, and, and talk about that depth. I mean, when, when you look at Ole Miss, man, they are loaded. I think they've got everybody back but two or three players because of the COVID thing and allowing players to get extra years. Not only are they deep at uh, pitching, but they're deep at the position players as well. Talk about that. And who are the, some of those players you're watching out for? I think deep is probably the wrong word because they they don't have any reliable bench players coming off of like experienced bench players. What they do have is, depending on which way you define it, six or seven returning starters in a lineup that last year hit the most home runs in the country. You're losing your two best players from last year. Uh, Tyler Keene and Anthony Servidio were both All-Americans last year, and that's your leadoff hitter and your number three hitter that you have to replace. That's no easy task, but you look at Peyton Chatagnier, who's probably going to be the leadoff hitter in the second baseman. He's a guy that is definitely a threat to hit in the mid-300s. You can look at 330, 340 and not be surprised from him. Uh, you have Tim Elko coming back, who's likely going to be the three-hole hitter. You have this host of power hitters in the middle, whether it's Kale Baker or Tim Elko or Ben Van Cleve or Hayden Leatherwood. And then you have the catcher, Hayden Dunhurst, who is truly one of the better prep catchers, sorry, college catchers in the country. He's only a sophomore, so he's not draft eligible yet, but I anticipate when he is draft eligible, he will be ranked as a top 10 prospect among college players. You have a lot of talent on this offense. The question is, if you do have to miss a player for COVID, if you're missing, say, one outfielder or one infielder, who then steps up? Because your bench is people like Trey LaFleur, who didn't play all that much last year, people like John Rice Plumley, who very athletic, we'll see how good of a baseball player he is, and then people uh, like these freshmen, who the way Ole Miss recruits, it's Definitely loaded freshman class came last year. Then <laughs> Derek Diamond and Hayden Dunhurst and Peyton Chatney and Jerry Ely and all of these people came in. Now you don't have that loaded freshman class. We'll see how the just smaller number freshman class can provide that depth. Now looking at the schedule, I mean, when you when you look at the schedule, you almost have to laugh at it. Yeah, especially the SEC schedule. I mean, they open up with I mean they open up with Auburn. And then they got Alabama, Florida, Arkansas, Mississippi State, LSU, South Carolina, A&M, Vandy, and Georgia. All the, those are the weekend series. What do you expect? I mean, what are, what are your season expectations when you look at a schedule like that? I mean, my gosh! And, and you got to also include UCF, and of course the preseason invitational down there in Texas. I mean, what do you expect this year? What are your expectations? I mean, the short answer is this: If Ole Miss wins the SEC West. They will probably deserve consideration as being the best team in the country. I don't think they will win the SEC West just for the reasons you outlined. You look at the three other top 11, top 12 teams in the SEC West, Arkansas, LSU, and Mississippi State. None of them have to play both Florida and Vanderbilt. Ole Miss is the only of the four that drew both the Commodores and the Gators. Now, you throw in the fact that Ole Miss also drew... Georgia and South Carolina, Ole Miss has realistically drawn the four best teams in the SEC East, in addition to playing all six of the other teams in the SEC West. This is probably the toughest possible SEC schedule. 
now. Ole Miss is preseason predicted to be the best team in the West. They're preseason predicted to be the third best team in the SEC behind Vanderbilt and Florida. And you get Vanderbilt at home, so you kind of hope that you can take two or the three from that one. But it's still such a difficult schedule. And you talked about that gauntlet of three weeks in a row where it's Arkansas, then State, then LSU. Or maybe it's Arkansas, LSU, State. Um that's that's a game changer. Those are three teams that all have aspirations to be a top eight national seed this year. And you got to play them back to back to back. There's no relief. There's no relenting. I guess the one feather in the cap is this year they don't also play a midweek against Mississippi State. There is no Governor's Cup game. But other than that, there is absolutely no break in the schedule. Now, final baseball question I have for you. Is this team, You do you honestly think that this team is going to make it to Omaha? Because I know a lot of Ole Miss fans, especially after last year's hot start, they were Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. Is this team the team to take them back to Omaha? I think that if Ole Miss finishes the regular season as a top eight seed, meaning they have home field advantage through Super Regionals, this team goes to Omaha. I think if they have to go on the road at any point this postseason, it becomes harder to say. And that's not to say I don't think this team can win on the road, and that's not to say this team has never won on the road. Obviously, in 2014, they won in a road Super Regional to get to Omaha. But I I just think the way the SEC is shaking out this year, if Ole Miss gets that home field advantage, it means it's legit. If Ole Miss even just hosts an Oxford Regional, like the 12th seed, like it did a few years ago, that's when you start to think this is a good team, but it didn't hold its own against the top, top competition. Now, jumping over to the gridiron, we're going to talk a little football real quick. First year of Lane Kiffin, successful season. I think everybody would agree that this year is a very successful season. Now, heading into the 2021 year, what are you expecting, and, and how would you grade last season for Ole Miss? I think the grade for last season is definitely a solid B, B minus, which if you're grading on the curve of Alabama's an A plus, I think a B minus is fine. Uh, you definitely take a 5-5 five and five record when you play nine SEC games and the second or third best team in the Big Ten. But I mean, football is such a wacky sport, and you know this and I know this. That team very easily could have been 7-3, and three, and that team very easily could have been 3-7. and seven. There were four games, two wins and two losses, that essentially were decided by a coin flip. So when you have such a good offense, such a great top five in the country offense, and you're juxtaposing that against a terrible bottom ten in the country defense, you kind of have to just say, well, if that was good enough to be middle of the pack in the SEC, you either have to sustain that type of offense forever or figure out a way to fix the defense. And they obviously went out and recruiting this year, and I think they find 16 defensive players, all defensive linemen and defensive backs. And they go out in the transfer portal and they get uh, honorable mention, all Big Ten linebacker. Uh, from Maryland to help the defense. And they're getting the depth there. But, man, if you don't fix this defense, I don't see a way you can climb higher than fourth in the West, maybe third in the West if this is the year that 
Auburn's going to be down. I, I don't know if you can be better than LSU and A&M still. But, yeah, you really have to address that defense. Now, looking at the schedule for next year, I, it's, arg- it's arguably the two most exciting games for Ole Miss fans are right now with the renewal of the rivalry with Tulane and, of course, Hugh Freeze's return on November 6th uh, to Oxford. Talk about those two games and, and just an early, early, early preview of the record of next year for Ole Miss. I will say this. If you, as an Ole Miss fan, are more excited about the Tulane game than any of the eight SEC games, <laughs> or the Louisville game, for that matter, I don't get you. <laughs> um, Ole Miss-Tulane should not be very competitive this year, especially as Tulane replaces uh, Will Hall as offensive coordinator. And I'm ready to eat these words. People who know me know I'm very bad at making predictions. But right now, I would say the range is 7-5 to 9-3 and three on the record. Um, I, I tend to make predictions on the low end. I tend to believe however many wins you think a team has going to have, subtract one, and that's the answer you should be saying out loud. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I think that the games that are going to be interesting are obviously the Louisville game to start because you'll learn a lot from it. But I think Ole Miss is slightly better than Louisville right now. You have the Liberty game is the other non-conference, which I again think Ole Miss is slightly better if not a good bit better than Liberty, just pure talent-wise, but we'll see which teams show up that day. And then when you get into conference play, you count them out against Alabama. You say they beat Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Tennessee. Then you have the games in the middle. Are they better than Brian Harson's first year at Auburn? That game's on the road. Can they go to the Plains and win it? Are they better than Texas A&M and LSU, which come to Oxford this year. I do not know. I, I don't feel super comfortable saying they win either of those games. And then you have the state game, which I genuinely believe state's going to be a massively improved team next year. Uh, I think the Egg Bowl is going to be really tough in Starkville with, gosh, you just look at state. They have their best running back, their two best receivers, and their quarterback were all true freshmen last year they're going to take a jump. So I think that one's competitive too. So if you say you started a baseline of three and one with four toss up games, uh, are you five and three? Are you six and two? Are you three and five? Are you four and four? There's a lot of wiggle room in there. I just don't know. I I think right now four and four is the best bet. Now the last football question I have for you, and and I think this is, a question that a lot of national people are asking, what is the current state of the Egg Bowl? Because we know that the the past with the fights and the arguments and the Leo Lewis and all that stuff, but now with Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach, there seems to be a calmness between the folks in Starkville and the folks in Oxford. Is that something that is true, or is that just a, a, a cloud of smoke there? That's fine. Yeah. No, no, there, there's no, but like, yeah, it's the egg bowl is the egg bowl. There are going to be years where players get angry at each other because these are players who grew up knowing each other. But as both Ole Miss and Mississippi State continue to recruit nationally more, and you have fewer players from Mississippi on the field. And as you have coaches and Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin who are not from Mississippi, and as you have athletic directors who are de-emphasizing the rivalry. And as all of this happens, 
it becomes more of a fan rivalry than an on-field rivalry, and that cuts down on the brawls and the fights and the brouhaha's. Now, the fans are always going to hate each other. This is always going to be the biggest game of the calendar, the one circled on the calendar, the one that everybody loves to talk about that either Thursday or Saturday of rivalry week. But I think it's going to de-escalate, but I don't think that matters because the thing that makes the Egg Bowl great is the game. It's not the, the extracurriculars. Yeah. Now, jumping over to the hardwood, Ole Miss basketball has come out of nowhere. They're winners of four straight. Seems like the offense is doing a lot better. Of course, defense is doing good. What What is going on with Ole Miss? Because this is a team that got throttled early on and now have really started to find their groove, sit at 65 in the net rankings, and right on the NCAA tournament bubble. Is it 55 or 55? Is it 55 or 65? I think it's 55. 55. Okay, so it jumped up after the win in South Carolina. I know the South Carolina game was a was a quad two. I think that was what they call it. So what what's going on, man? This is a totally new team. Yeah. Yeah, I, I take a little bit of umbrage with one of the words you used there, which is throttled, because I think that they came out of nowhere in a sense that nobody expected them to turn it around overnight. But you look at those SEC losses, that they did have early, and even the non-conference they had early, I think they really only got properly blown out of two games. You could argue that the first LSU game was a blowout, and I guess you could argue the Arkansas game was a blowout, but you have second-half leads against Florida, Dayton, and Wichita State. You lose to Georgia the first time by two. I can't remember what happened in that second Georgia game because Georgia just shot lights out. But that, that one also might have been a blowout. But I guess the point is when you're looking at some of these potential quad one and two losses that they have, they were closer than they had any indication of being. So just in the quality of playing the game, I think that they were close. The real surprise has just been going from being a team that beats Tennessee 52 to 50 to being a team that one week later puts up 78 on Missouri or whatever that was, yeah. and it scored in the 80s three games in a row, so I guess they put up 80-plus against Mizzou. That's been the real just utter shocker, has been um, the way this offense has picked up. And some of that's been uh, a reestablishment of the low post with Romello White and Robert Allen and K.J. Buffin kind of returning. Uh, some of that has been Devontae Shuler shooting absolutely lights out and this team going from being a uh, team that was shooting in the mid to low 20s from three to now being a league average team, it seems, from three. And, and some of it has just been, gosh, I think over the last four games of this four-game win streak, they've they've forced like 60 turnovers. When, when you're forcing 15 turnovers a game, that is, that's going to get you places. So I think all of that in conjunction with just a team that kind of went into desperation mode has has contributed to, to this team now being uh, first four out from USA Today's bracketology, next four out from ESPN's bracketology, on the bubble from CBS Sports. And just this morning, if you look at Andy Katz's NCAA projections, he has them in the play-in game. He has them actually on the bracket. So, yeah, it's we'll see how things work out. They have two or three really tough games left that I'm sure you and I will talk about in your next couple of questions. But 
they've, they've turned things around. Looking at this uh, rest of the schedule, and, and you mentioned the LSU uh, at home, Mississippi State at home. The toughest game left on the schedule is at Missouri, with the exception of maybe at Vanderbilt, because uh, weird things happen in Nashville. I think if you cover college basketball, you cover any college athletics, you know weird things can happen in Memorial Gymnasium. That is a weird place to play the game of basketball. How do you how do you see Ole Miss finishing out the season here? I disagree. I think that the toughest game on the schedule is LSU. Um, and maybe that's unbiased based yeah. off of I saw the way they played LSU and I saw the way they played Missouri. And they're not going to beat Missouri by 30 again or whatever the score was. But this LSU team is just like a disaster of a matchup for Ole Miss because of how veteran and experienced LSU is. Uh, how I see the schedule shaking out, I think if you win three out of five, you are still in the tournament discussion if you can win a couple games in Nashville during the tournament. If you win four out of five, if you, let's say, split against LSU and Missouri, pull off the home wins against Kentucky and State, and then beat Vanderbilt on the road, I think all you got to do is not absolutely lose it in Nashville, and you can get in. But, gosh, beating LSU... Is one of those borderline quad one wins because I think LSU is number 28 in the net right now, 28, 29. If you beat them, it instantly stops being a quad one win because you knock them out of quad one. Um, Missouri, if you went on the road, that is guaranteed to be a quad one win because there's no way Missouri falls out of the top 75 in the net. But yeah, I, I think that they have the resume opportunities, I think that they're playing well. But, gosh, this LSU team is a really tough matchup. And we saw what they've done in their last two or three games against really good teams like Tennessee. Now, the last question I have for you, talk about this mood in the locker room. Because every time you and I are on a press conference with the team, you and I are watching the team, there seems to be a new level of energy in the locker room. What What is the what is the cause of that? Have you heard anything or um, has anybody said anything to you about what the energy is in that locker room right now? I'm, I'm going to try my hardest not to be a pretentious stats guy here, but that's not energy. That's winning. Yeah. They're winning. You feel good when you win. Yeah. I, I mean, they are not playing from my perspective more energized than they were four weeks ago. They are the same players. They're playing the same style of basketball. Nothing's really changed. They're just better at it right now. And this isn't to be the guy who goes on the rants and says momentum isn't real. And this isn't to be the guy who does all that stuff. No, I have been that guy many times in my life. But the point is, a lot of the times when we say, oh, the energy is up. Or, oh, they're having more fun out there. Or, oh, there's something different about this team. What we're saying is they're winning and it doesn't make sense. So... I'd rather not say like, oh man, the energy's high. Oh man, they're having so much fun. Oh, look at the camaraderie. Look at how jazzed they are. They look juiced. What they're doing is winning and making shots and making good plays on defense and forcing turnovers and playing well in transition and shooting well from inside the paint and getting to the free throw line a lot and starting to hit a few more threes and their zone is suffocating teams and they're playing basketball well. And so if that creates good energy, cool. But I'm not going to say they're winning because of energy. 
He is Nick Sauce. Tell them how they can find all of your work, because I tell you what, you are the best Ole Miss beat writer there is right now. I mean, they, you, I, I enjoy following you, man, and, and being a Memphis guy and a national guy. I love reading your stuff, and I know a lot of Ole Miss fans love your Twitter page as well. Tell them how they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, you can type in twitter.com on the internet, if you have the internet, and uh, find my name, Nick Suss. It's N-I-C-K-S-U-S-S. If you can't hear it through the list, those are S's as in Sam. Now you can go to clarionledger.com. That is clarion and then ledger and then .com, also on this thing called the internet. And you can read all of my stories about basketball and football and baseball and Deion Sanders and whatever the heck you want to read about. Um, all of that. Uh, plus, if you uh, subscribe now, our President's Day sale, it's only $1 for the next six months. Please pay me $1 <laughs> so I can keep my feet on and not freeze during this winter storm. <laughs> All of that, find me there. Thank you for reading. Thank you for putting up with me, Mitch. <laughs> you have been listening to The Mitch Davis Show. I've been your host, Mitch Davis. Be sure you follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. Like, follow the Facebook and Instagram pages at The Mitch Davis Show. Also head on over to the website at The Mitch Davis Show. Com. You can also find the podcast wherever you like to listen to your podcast. And a very, very special thank you to the Clarion Ledger's Ole Miss beat writer, Nick Suss, for coming on the podcast today to talk all things Ole Miss athletics. A very fun interview for all you Ole Miss people looking to get a little bit of insight into the program that you love so much. You have been listening to the Mitch Davis Show. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay warm.